Well, good morning to each of you and welcome on this uh, beautiful first Sunday of Advent as we've lit the candle of hope with our Advent wreath leading us over the next four weeks as we begin this journey uh, in Advent. Advent, as I said earlier in the service, comes from the word adventus, uh, which is an ancient uh, Latin word that means coming. It was often associated with the coming of a new emperor, and so there were all kinds of preparations Uh, in the Roman Empire that had to happen as a new emperor uh, became installed and was entering into the capital city. So it's that same kind of intentional preparation, uh, welcoming a king, welcoming uh, a savior. And so that word Adventus comes to us as we prepare both for the coming of Jesus and his birth and the coming of Jesus and his kingdom. And so today uh, we begin our new sermon series, The, The Angels of Christmas, And over the next few weeks, we will be encountering various angels and their messages to people in the Christmas story. Um, And so will you pray with me as we prepare uh, our hearts to hear what God would say to us today. Holy God, we thank you for your word and thank you for Tyler and the reading of both the psalm and the reading from Luke that help us to prepare our hearts to hear what you would say to us today. We thank you, God, for this season of Advent, which leads us apart from the busyness and secular nature of the season and takes us deeper into the sacred and holy. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be present and open our hearts and our minds to the message and the messengers you send to us today. Help us to hear those words and to be transformed as we prepare for the coming of Jesus. We pray this in his name and the people of God said, amen. So when I think of angels as we prepared for this, uh, certainly you will see an angel in the banner, maybe you see the angel in the image today as a part of our series, but when I think of angels, I have several things in place, and I, I, I don't know about you, I, when I decorate my tree, I, I have a few angels, but I'm not kind of an angel person, I'm a star person. So how many of you put stars on the top of your tree? How many of you put angels on the top of your tree? How many of you put something else on the top of your tree? Let's talk to these people, right? Amen, right? So uh, I I typically go with the star, but uh, my grandmother had an old angel that had been a part of our family for a long time. So I think about those angels. Uh, I also think about those precious moment angels. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, Kind of the little chubby cherubs that look so cute. Uh, It's not really what angels are. just about to prepare you for that. Uh, But uh, that's one thing I think about. I think about uh, angels in movies, right? So uh, uh, some TV series touched by an angel, people love that. Um, maybe you saw The Bishop's Wife, anybody know that ancient movie, right, which is about an angel's intervention. My favorite movie of all time is It's a Wonderful Life, right? How many of you have seen that movie, right? And uh, that bumbling angel called Clarence, remember, who's looking to you know, get his wings and he has to do that by convincing George Bailey, a man who's hopeless, that indeed he is of value and his life has made a radical difference. And you remember when a bell rings, an angel gets their wings, right. So I think of all of that when I think about angels, right? But the reality is angels are much more complex and there's much more to learn about them as we begin this sermon series. So I'm going to do a little Angel 101 for you. I'm sure you're well-versed in angels, but I I just want you to hear a little bit about them. 
So as we begin this sermon series, the Hebrew word for angel, which would be found in Hebrew scripture or Old Testament, is really pretty complex and they're different words, which translate in these three kind of understandings. Heavenly beings, sons of God, or heavenly hosts, right? So that's fairly complex. Um, the Greek word is angelos, uh, which means messenger from God. Los Angeles is the city of Oh, you're good. That's great. And in some ways, these messengers can be either heavenly beings or they can be human beings who bring a sacred message. So messenger from God is kind of the definition of angels in the Greek word. What's also important to know, we tend to spend most of our focus on angels around Christmas, right? Angels we've heard on high, angels from the realm of glory, hark the Herald angels sing, right? Uh, and then we think about all the angels in their chorus uh, as Jesus is born and the shepherds receive their news, right? But angels are not just present in the Christmas story, and they're not just present in the New Testament. And sometimes they bring a very hopeful and joyous word, but sometimes they bring a hard word or a hard word of judgment or justice. Remember that an angel guards the entrance to the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve are expelled. Do you remember that? Angels visit the city of Sodom and Gomorrah with hard words of accountability and eventually destruction. Angels visit Daniel in the Old Testament and help to clarify his vision and calling. And for a moment, Daniel is unable to speak when the angel visits him. Angels are also mentioned throughout the New Testament. There are seven angels mentioned in the book of Revelation. And in the book of Hebrews, remember, we're reminded to entertain strangers with hospitality and welcome because we might be entertaining angels, right? So here are the biggies in the angel reality, okay? The first one I want to introduce you to is Gabriel. How many of you have heard of Gabriel, right? Okay. Gabriel is the angel we'll encounter in today's story. He doesn't identify at the beginning, but later he does to Zechariah. Uh, it just translates man of God, okay? And he's first found in the book of Daniel. He's the one who can, helps Daniel interpret and understand his vision. The second kind of archangel or major angel is Michael. How many of you have heard of the angel Michael, right? That means chief angel or like God or an instrument of God. And Michael is also found in the book of Daniel. The third one I was less familiar with, there are seven total, and we'll learn more about the others next week, is Raphael. How many of you have heard of Raphael? Raphael is, translates the healer from God. And Raphael doesn't appear in our scripture, but he appears in the book of Tobit and another book in what's called the Apocrypha. Anybody ever heard of the Apocrypha? Those are additional books that are recognized in the Anglican and Catholic traditions. We believe they're inspirational. We don't believe they're scripture. But that's where Raphael appears. There are other angels and there are other uh, stories which we'll talk about over the next weeks. There are several types of angels. There's seven total, but I'll just talk about three today. Seraphim, many of you have heard of those, right? Cherubim, they're not the little chubby precious moment folks. They, they actually are, can be pretty confrontive. And thrones are the third that I'll talk about today. So I feel like you're now well versed in angels, amen, right? So let's now talk about our story today. And it's interesting, as we turn to the book of Luke, and I invite you to pull out your Bible or take the red one in front of you or open your phone or tablet. Uh, as we look at this story from Luke, I, I want you to think about Luke. Luke is uh, written to a Gentile Christian audience, 
But Luke, who also wrote the book of Acts, wants to connect the traditions of Judaism to the understandings of Christianity. I want you to know that we often move the Christmas and Advent stories immediately to maybe the Annunciation to Mary, but we often just move directly to Bethlehem, right? But Zechariah and Elizabeth are a critical part of the Advent Christmas cycle. So if you have your Bible, turn to chapter 1 in the Gospel of Luke, and we'll, we'll take a look at who this first encounter with an angel is and what it means for them. So in verse 5, in the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. Now, you probably have heard first, in the age of King Herod. This was Herod the Great. He reigned from late B.C. to maybe dying around 4 B.C. or right across the A.D. line. Herod was a puppet king of the Roman Empire who was put in place in the land of Judea, which is mostly present-day Israel. Uh, he converted to Judaism to appear to be a Jewish king, which would have kept everything in order with tradition, but in reality he was a puppet of the Romans and a part of the oppression, the taxation, the enslavement. So when you hear the words, in the age of King Herod of Judea, you already know this is a difficult time, right? Then we're introduced to Zechariah. He's a priest, uh, and he's a part of an order of Abijah. Now, priests uh, uh, kind of descended from Moses' brother named Aaron, right? You probably knew that. The Levites kind of are attributed to uh, Aaron. And Aaron had how many sons? Do you know? 24. Yeah, think about that Thanksgiving gathering. Amen, right? 24 sons, which meant that they, later on, as the priestly class developed, there were 24 divisions of priests. It's kind of like the military, right? I mean, there were different... Um, divisions, and they were assigned to temple practice and rotated through in that way. So you were kind of waiting for your division. He's a part of the priestly order of Abijah, that's their name. And so he and his wife Elizabeth lived in the hill country, but at the temple there were apartments or housing for the priests when it was your turn. It's kind of like Methodist ministers. They were appointed for a time, right? You know what I'm saying? So um, so then they rotated through, and they had all kinds of tasks. Uh, they might be a part of the animal sacrifice area. You might get to be a host or welcome person. There were all kinds of possibilities. But one in particular was the Holy of Holies, the inner sanctum, where you could offer the incense offering. So you have a sense of who Zechariah is, priestly class, descended from Aaron, part of the order of Abijah, and his folks have gotten the ticket. They're in to host the temple for this period of time. His wife was also a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So Elizabeth comes from the descendants of Aaron. She could not be a priest, obviously, but the encouragement was that if you were a woman uh, in the Aaron line, you would marry a priest, and accordingly she has done so. Both of them, according to Luke, were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. So Luke wants you to know that Zechariah and Elizabeth are very faithful, very righteous, blameless, have followed all the laws, are this amazing, amazing couple together. But in verse 7, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and both were getting on in years. And so immediately, though, all of their righteousness and all of their goodness and all of their faithfulness, they're unable to have children. Now, you remember in Israel and in other parts of the ancient world, 
A woman's value was based on the number of children she could give. Amen, right? And so I'm sure Elizabeth has some deep pain around this, and they both do. But what Luke does that we kind of miss here is by showing their righteousness, their blamelessness, that this is not a punishment, as some would assume. This is just a reality. And so here's where we begin. Verse 8. Once... When Zechariah was serving as priest before God, and his section was on duty, so he got the call, get to Jerusalem, you're in charge of worship. He, Zechariah, was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. Now what's fascinating, you think about all those people, all those assignments, and there are 24 different groups, right, your chances of getting the offering of incense are pretty rare, right? We're not for sure this is his first time. We have no idea. But we believe it was probably a very rare moment for Zechariah to be chosen. So he would come into the temple, come through the courts, come into the inner sanctum, go beyond the curtain. There he would offer an incense offering to God in the Holy of Holies. He would offer prayers. Everyone else would gather outside in the courtyards. They would pray intensely during this period of time, and then he would come out and grant them a word and a blessing. So that's what Zechariah is prepared to do. So he probably has his best linen robe on. He's bought the best incense possible. He's ready to go in and do this job. I'm sure Elizabeth is proud, hoping they stream it, but they don't, right? And so here he goes. And as he goes in, he lights the incense. He begins to offer his prayers. Suddenly... An angel of the Lord is standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And scripture says, when Zechariah saw the angel, he was terrified, right? Hello, are you awake out there? My word. I know it's been a long Thanksgiving, but come on. He was terrified. Of course he was. He didn't expect to see a messenger, an angelic being show up at the right side of the altar. And scripture says that fear overwhelmed him, right? Now, why would he be afraid? Well, I'm just going to be honest. If I was preaching and suddenly an angel appeared here, I have a sense I would be terrified, and I have a sense that you would either be terrified or on your way out, right? You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, I've said this before, when a strange being shows up unexpectedly and is shining brightly, your life is going to change. Amen? Right. So Zechariah is terrified. He also knows the story of angels, right? Yes, they can bring words of comfort. But remember the angel at the Garden of Eden or the angel in Sodom and Gomorrah or other angels that were confronted? This could be a bad word or it could be a good word. He's overwhelmed. But the angel said to him what angels often say when they show up. Do not be afraid, right? All through the Christmas story, angels appear to people. They terrify folks to death. And then they say this, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be a great in the sight of the Lord. And so there's this beautiful moment, knowing the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah, that their prayers for a child have been answered. And this beautiful message in the inner sanctum of the Holy of Holies, as the incense is being offered, is not one of fear or destruction, but of new life and new beginning. Then the angel continues. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. So John, 
who will later be known as John the Baptist, is being set aside. He can't drink wine. He can't drink strong drink. He's a part of an order called the Nazarites. Do you remember the Nazarites? Set apart, can't drink hard liquor, can't drink wine, have to eat a certain diet, can't cut their hair. We've encountered some of those people in Hebrew Scripture, remember. It seems that John the Baptist is in the same place. So those instructions are given by the angel. And then he says this. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God with the spirit and power of Elijah. Now let's stop there. Remember, Elijah shows up in preparation of the Messiah. You know that, right? So there's this connecting of John the Baptist with the work of Elijah, who will go before him. To turn the hearts of parents to their children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, and to make ready a people to prepare for the Lord. That's why we always say, prepare the way of the Lord in Advent, because we're hearing that message of preparation that Elijah brings. Now, that's a pretty big day for Zechariah, right? And that's a lot to take in. But then Zechariah does something kind of interesting. And I know we're quick to judge, but think about it. It's a bit overwhelming. So Zechariah says to the angel, how will I know this is possible? I'm an old man and my wife is getting on in the years. We've talked to the pension group. We've, we've consulted with Ernst and Young. We're all prepared for retirement. We are not ready for a child. And this, how will I know that this is true? And the angel replies, and here, here we go, I am Gabriel. Now, Zechariah had heard of Gabriel. Remember, he appeared to Daniel. And I have an assumption that Zechariah went, oh, no, right? It's Gabriel. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. So he reminds him who he is. I'm sure Zechariah makes all the connections he remembers that Daniel, you know, was paralyzed for a while after receiving this message. He realized this, this is big stuff, and Gabriel's just come in from seeing God. This is a big deal, right? And he says and continues, Zechariah, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in your time, you will become mute, unable to speak until the day these things occur, the day the baby is born. And so for nine months, Zechariah is muted. My friend Lisa Cruz Safford is senior pastor at Crystal Lake United Methodist. And I was talking to her last night about this sermon. And she said, yeah, I wish my husband had been muted for nine months when I was pregnant, right? You know, she said it would have been nice because he often didn't know what to say and didn't say the right things, right? So I wish Gabriel had shown up for a nine-month muting, right? Maybe some of you could agree, amen, right? But the point is, because Zechariah can't see the possibility, needs more proof, which we often do even when we encounter something. Isn't it funny? We encounter something miraculous and amazing, and we need more, right? And so Gabriel says, because you didn't believe what I have to share, I'm going to mute you for nine months. Now, at first, it seems like punishment, right? But in some ways, I wonder if being silenced for nine months helped Zechariah to hear things more deeply. I often wonder if this story in Advent is intentional to mute us. All of the noise of this season, all of the demands of our culture, Black Friday sales that are never enough, consumerism and busyness and craziness, and all of the things that we fall prey to. And maybe this gift to Zechariah is just to be in silence, listening 
of the message. As you know, after that happens, he is not able to speak, and then he finally comes out of the inner sanctum to the people who've been praying. They, they know something's wrong. This is usually a 20-minute gig, right? And they've been waiting for hours, and they're concerned. And he comes out, and he clearly can't speak, and it's clear that he's seen a vision. He kept motioning to them and trying to speak to them, but he couldn't, and so they know something unbelievable has happened. And then we go back to the common. And when his service was ended, he went home, right? After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she remained in seclusion. And many scholars wonder, why did Elizabeth remain in seclusion? But maybe she couldn't believe that this might happen. Maybe she wanted to see that bump in her belly to make sure that indeed this was going to happen. Maybe she had lived with the ridicule of neighbors, friends, and relatives who thought something was wrong with her. And in those five months, she and Zechariah had the sacredness of silence and seclusion to hear what God would say. And then she says these words after that period. This is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I've endured among the people. You may remember the rest of the story. Later on, Elizabeth will give birth to this baby. And still Zechariah can't speak. And then eight days later, as was the custom, it was time for this baby to be circumcised. And that's where you're also named, right? And you may remember that everybody... Uh, you know, the, the, the rabbi kind of turns to Elizabeth, because Zechariah can't speak, obviously, and says, hey, what are we going to name this child? And everybody's thinking Zechariah Jr., right? It's going to be Junior, right? Surely, right? And she says, no, it's John. And they all go, well, nobody in your family's named John. What an odd choice of names. I mean, why would you name him John? And so typically, like people do, they turn to Zechariah. Are you okay with this? And Zechariah asks for a message board, and he writes out, J-O-H-N, John. The people knew something amazing was going to happen, that this child and this message was going to change the world. Now, whatever you think about angels, these holy messengers often speak into our lives at critical periods, and they also bring critical word. The gift of John the Baptist was the transformation of people, bringing people back to the Lord, children back to their parents. But John was also preparing the way not only for salvation, but a word of hope to people who were under the oppression of the Roman Empire. Amen? This messenger, Gabriel, brought a message that would pave the way, and he'll make another visit next week to Mary that changes the world again, right? I I invite you in this season to be open to the messengers. Maybe some messenger may show up in your living room unexpectedly and shine brightly. I encourage you to listen. Amen? But it could be somebody you know. It could be somebody who's a stranger. These holy messengers can speak God's word to you and to me and challenge us to do our life differently, especially in this season of Advent. In the book, The Angels of Christmas, which we're studying in our Advent studies tomorrow at 10 a.m. and 7 p.m., Uh, Reverend uh, Susan Robb writes and shares a story about a a church member in her congregation named Roberta. Roberta was married to Tom. They'd been married for many years. Tom uh, had a rare form of cancer that could only be cured with a rare stem cell transplant. 
They went to MD Anderson. I don't know if you've heard of MD Anderson. It's a huge cancer hospital in Houston, Texas. It's been known for years. Lots, it's huge. Uh, many of us know people who've been there. And so Roberta and Tom went there. And after a series of tests, it became clear that before Tom could receive the stem cell transplant, he had to have a very risky surgery. As they gathered with the doctors, the doctor and surgeon revealed to Roberta and Tom that Tom's chances of surviving the surgery were 40%. It's pretty low, but they went forward. Roberta recalled to Susan the day that of the surgery. She's waiting in the waiting room. She's all alone. Uh, she's very fearful. It, it doesn't feel hopeful. And she just kind of lays her head down on a table in the waiting room and begins to sob, Right? When suddenly a woman comes to her and calls on her and says, what's going on? And the woman introduces herself as a woman from Egypt who's traveled to MD Anderson with her mother uh, for her mother's having surgery that next day. And she's just happened to be in the waiting room and she hears a bit of Roberta's story and then she touches her arm and she says to her, your husband will be okay. And she prays with her. Roberta said, I don't know what happened in that moment, but she said, I had a deep sense of calm and a deep sense of peace and a deep sense of assurance that whatever happened would be okay. And she said, as the woman left, I just felt a deep sense of hope in that moment. Tom's surgery went well, and he began to recover. And over the next couple of days, Roberta returned to the nurse's station and asked them to take her to the woman's room with the daughter from Egypt so that she could thank her for these words of hope. And the nurses said, there is no family from Egypt in this hospital. She looked everywhere, no one. They met with the surgeon the next day and toward the end of the visit, she shared this story and the surgeon kind of smiled and he said, this is not uncommon here. You've had an angel sighting. It happens in this place all the time. Whether the woman was from heaven or from there, whatever the word was, God sent her as a messenger of hope to Roberta. And Roberta was in a place where she could receive it and hear it and know it in her life. My prayer for us in this season of four weeks of preparation is not to do the same old thing. Amen? Maybe to mute ourselves, to silence ourselves, to spend a moment being very open to what the messengers in our life, the ones that God sends, the sacred messengers say to us. It could be somebody next to you in a pew today. It could be somebody you encounter. It could be a stranger later on. But are you open to hear a sacred message that will change your life and change the world? As we prepare for the coming of Jesus, I pray that you are open, wide open, to receive an angel's word today.